You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, January 26, 2021. Later in the program, MCCSC bus drivers complained about poor working conditions during last night's school board meeting. More in your headlines today. Also coming up in the next half hour, three scams, three media on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your environmental news From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, January 26th. I'm Nathaniel Weinsapfel. Recently, news station WTHR 13 out of Indianapolis created a list of the most important environmental bills that have been proposed at the Indiana State House. Senate Bill 65 would make admittance to all of Indiana's environmental state parks free for veterans. Another bill would make the Mastodon, a relative of the Mammoth, an official state fossil. House Bill 1378 would require that drinking water be tested for lead in preschools and child care facilities. Confined feeding operations, which are large collections of animals tightly packed together, tend to produce more waste than some of Indiana's cities. Senate Bill 122 would call for an annual inspection of the operations to ensure pollution prevention. House Bill 1335 would limit how power plant companies can manage and dispose of coal ash a byproduct of the burning of coal. For a full list of bills, visit WTHR.com. A few of the bills proposed in the state legislature have to do with climate change, with two seeking to establish task forces to determine the threat of climate change on the state, and another to create a resolution that states, quote, the Indiana General Assembly acknowledges climate change as a serious problem for Indiana, unquote. These bills are in response to a push by an Indiana student group called Confront the Climate Crisis, who actively push legislators to address the possible effects of climate change on the state. Last week, the group met at the Indiana State House to show support for the bills, but the head of the Senate Environmental Affairs Committee, Republican Mark Messmer of Jasper, was unable to meet with the students. Despite a lack of statewide attention, communities and cities around the state are taking their own steps to address climate change such as through long-term goals of being carbon neutral and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. A study from the Scrub Hub team at the Indy Star has found an explanation for why Bloomington and other parts of the state have experienced little snow this winter. Called a snow drought, this weather event is defined as, quote, a period of abnormally little snowpack for the time of year, unquote. 
For example, on average, Indianapolis would have received a combined total of 12 inches of snow from the start of the winter in 2021 until now. However, the city has only received six-tenths of an inch of snow, drastically lower than the average. Estimations for the remaining 2022 winter also predict that the state won't be getting much more snow. The yearly likelihood of a snow drought will only increase as the planet continues to warm. And that's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel. Public comments were tense at the Monroe County Community School Corporation meeting last Tuesday. During the school board meeting, bus drivers complained of a toxic work environment. Rocky Laster, a bus driver and parent at MCCSE, criticized the working conditions in the transportation department. Our transportation department is rapidly failing. We've lost over 40 school bus drivers in the last year, and many more are actively seeking employment elsewhere. The few old-timers left swear that this used to be a great place to work, but all that most of us have known is this downward spiral over the last five years that has us quickly circling the drain. We need parents and the public and this board to hear our truth before it's too late. Any organization is only as good as its people. When you fail to respect and appreciate your employees, they eventually leave and you fail. Updated technology is fine. Condensed bus routing is great. But the heart of the transportation department has always been and is always going to be the dedicated people who wake up at 5 a.m. to come drive our children safely to school. We've currently lost sight of this and we're rapidly sinking. The drivers feel disrespected, unappreciated, and afraid. There's a climate of intimidation and fear that permeates our department. Many drivers have left because of this. It makes us seriously wonder if HR even conducts exit interviews of our departing bus drivers, monitors, and supervisors. There seems to be no end to the parade of loyal seasoned veteran drivers who have fled our bus lot in the last few years. Many of us are concerned about safety, as we unfortunately experienced earlier this school year. A split-second situation while driving a bus can alter lives forever. The safest drivers are always the ones who run the same established familiar routes each day. What we have now, with several drivers running multiple unfamiliar routes in the dark, is a recipe for disaster, and it's getting worse each day. Honestly, three minutes isn't nearly enough time to go into details or to cover even 25% of the issues we're facing. We respectfully request 10 minutes presentation time at next month's meeting. We understand that the superintendent is extremely busy, but an entire department of this corporation is in flames. We beseech you to come spend just one day with us next door at the bus lot. Board members, we welcome all of you as well. Ride a few routes, listen to our radio traffic. Talk to the drivers, ask us what's wrong and why we're leaving. I promise that we wouldn't all be here after our 11 hour day today if we weren't desperate and serious. This transportation department has suffered in silence long enough. I truly hope I'm not retaliated against for blowing the whistle on bad behavior, but if I am, you'll hear from a different driver representative next month and the month after that until conditions improve or our department finally collapses. Please help the bus drivers. Thank you very much. Jody Neal, a concerned mother, expounded on the transportation issue at the school corporation. Your transportation this year is a mess. 
fire drivers down by half what they were last year. I get emails 10 minutes after a bus picked up saying it will be delayed. And then another email 10 minutes after that saying it's gonna be delayed more. I've had days the email says there's a bus delay when there isn't. It's too cold to have kids waiting 40 minutes for buses. 40 minutes is unacceptable. You ought to be able to narrow the window down to 15. Whoever made the changes to transportation, especially this year, has it so jacked up that kids are missing classes. Uh, some days buses have not dropped their kids until third period due to having to run extra routes or um, um, help out with other routes. I've often, I often have to make other arrangements to get my kid to school and he's always late on these days. Our bus drivers are obviously dedicated to our kids for putting up with all the garbage this year. And I thank them for that. It shouldn't be left up to them to give accurate details. The school board approved a new contract for next school year with the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, the trade union that represents the school corporation's bus drivers. In other school board news, the MCCSC Board of Trustees made amendments to the school system's COVID-19 policies. Superintendent Dr. Jeff Hoswald said the current system left schools with staff shortages as the Omicron variant continues to sweep through the state. The CMEC met last week, uh, that's the COVID Monitoring and Advisory Committee. And we are, uh, and I am, I am proposing, um, based upon that meeting, new procedures that are a result of rapidly changing realities and understandings associated with COVID-19 variants. Underlying these decisions is a clear desire to keep our schools open to in-person instruction and to maximize the time by which students can attend in-person instruction while simultaneously maintaining safe procedures to help limit the spread of COVID-19 in our schools and community. And while recognizing um, that due to a number of cases and staffing limits, maintaining our current procedures has become impossible. In order to fulfill these two goals simultaneously, our students, staff, and visitors must continue to wear masks, and we encourage them to adhere to here the federal officials' guidelines regarding surgical style disposable masks, as well as top grade N95 and K95 respirators. We have more information about those on our website, we're working on securing additional um, high-quality masks for our students and staff. Second, uh, MCCSC continues to remind our community that FDA-approved vaccines, including boosters, are highly effective at preventing COVID-19. We plan to share. We have additional information on our website to that effect as well. Changes include an isolation period of five days if someone tests positive for COVID-19 in accordance with the new CDC guidelines, and and acceptance of a negative antigen test, as they are less difficult to obtain than a PCR test. Oswald elaborated on the changes. The summary of our recommended changes are those who test positive for COVID-19 will be allowed to return to school after isolating for five days if they receive a negative lab antigen test and their symptoms are resolving or resolved. Our contact tracers will prioritize the highest risk cases for notification. An unvaccinated individual who is notified that they've been identified as close contact will be required to quarantine but may return to school after five days if they have no symptoms and can provide the results of a negative lab antigen test or a negative home antigen test with a preference for the negative lab antigen test. For many single symptoms, students will be allowed to return the next day without testing. I thought Ms. Butcher rang the bell on me. Uh, this recommendation, if approved, will be placed on our website and a letter of families explaining our new procedures will be emailed at the conclusion of tonight's meeting. As part of the new policies, MCCSC will no longer publicly update COVID-19 data on its website. 
the board ended up approving the policies with one board member, April Hennessy, dissenting. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on January 19th, County Attorney Jeff Cockerell gave background information on a program between the Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation and the Redevelopment Commission, which funds STEAM, Science, Technology, Arts, and Math Programming. State code allows for the Redevelopment Commission to enter an agreement with someone who's developing uh, the workforce to give a up to a certain percentage of the revenue towards that programming. Um, the Redevelopment Commission started this uh, project with the Richland Bean Blossom Community School Corporation because that is the school corporation that's in that covers the West Side uh, TIF, which is our revenue generating TIF district. Um, started that probably five six years ago. That we actually renewed that contract last year to help them uh, do additional. Um, uh, staff training and, and additional programming. Uh, I would invite the public if they want to know more about it. I think at the February Redevelopment Commission, we'll get our semi-annual report from the Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation to see what they're doing and, and how they're utilizing that money. But the history of it has been very exciting and has done a lot of, of good things for that school. Commissioner Lee Jones said that the Redevelopment Commission is not obligated to sponsor the programming and applauded the use of the funds. What the RDC has been doing, it really is wonderful. Um, TIFs can be very useful to a community in a lot of ways, but they do kind of sap off some of the money that would go to schools. And by doing this, the RDC, it's nothing that they have to do it. Do They're doing it to help the schools out, and uh, that's something very commendable. The commissioners also approved an addendum to the Monroe County Co-op Plan titled Vaccine and 15 Testing Requirement Policy per OSHA Standard. Cockerell shared changes to Occupational Safety and Health Act standards. And the update is that the Supreme Court last Thursday uh, reinstituted the stay on the enforce of the enforceability of those uh, temporary emergency standards by OSHA. These are the standards that require uh, vaccination or a weekly testing um, of employees. Um, our policy was put in place with with the understanding that those those requirements were going to be met and there were serious uh, financial consequences if, if we did not meet those. And so I thought that since it's no longer enforceable, we probably should have a discussion on whether we wanted to keep uh, those in place right now or if we wanted to wait until it worked its way through the courts. I included in the packet a amendment to that if you chose that would only make those enforceable upon uh, the enforceability of OSHA of those temporary emergency standards. Um, so if you have any questions, I, I think that's kind of a big change from when we enacted that policy. So I think a, a review of that's necessary and advisable. The addendum was approved unanimously. The next county commissioner's meeting will be held on January 26th. Up next, we turn to coverage of last week's Bloomington City Council meeting as the council debates the number of standing committees and outdoor seating on Kirkwood Avenue. This previously aired on Monday Night's News. 
On January 19th, the Bloomington City Council voted on an ordinance establishing an expanded outdoor dining area downtown. During public comment, owner of the Village Deli and Soma Coffee House and Juice Bar, Bob Costello, spoke on behalf of the Kirkwood Community Association in support of the outdoor dining ordinance. We have worked um, diligently with the city, with both Jane Coopersmith and Michael and Adam to um, thrive and survive uh, during what's been a very trying time. And I do want to make sure people keep in context that most of the restaurants on Kirkwood and some of the retail would not be open today had we not had the opportunity to have outdoor seating. Um, if we touch base with some of the retail operators, <clears throat> you'll find that some of them had the best year they have ever had um, while the street was closed and people were <clears throat> out and about shopping and walking and conversing and visiting with each other. <clears throat> so I just want to stress the importance of our economic survival and that economic survival also helped the city because you continued to collect tax revenue um, from our businesses. And uh, as someone mentioned earlier, the importance of the service industry to the Bloomington community <clears throat> culturally as well as financially. So I'd just like to sum up to say that I think it's extremely important that we continue this um, and I'm actually an advocate, and I'm speaking personally now, not for the Kirkwood Community Association, but I'm an advocate for closing Kirkwood completely and uh, only having it, uh, having, only having pedestrian traffic allowed. But that's another meeting, hopefully. Council Member Steve Volan explained that the metered parking on Kirkwood Avenue brings in substantial revenue for the city of Bloomington and advocated for one lane to remain open. He recommended Jersey blocks to ensure the other lane would be safe for pedestrians. Director of Public Works Adam Wason said that using the Jersey barriers would use at least 30 barriers of their inventory of 100. Wason was in favor of using bollards instead. Councilmember Ron Smith shared that he ran a shoe store on Kirkwood and understands why the road would be better as a pedestrian mall. Last Thursday, I was a guest at the Kirkwood uh, Merchants Association also with uh, DBI was there with uh, Ms. Kopic and uh, Mr. Hayes and listened to a really good discussion on um, closing Kirkwood. And it was overwhelmingly supported um, by, uh, by the, all the folks, um, you know, that were there and, and spoke out. And it made me feel real good that, uh, you know, we, we uh, helped to play a part in it. Um, Kirkwood's just a vital uh, link. It's a vital artery to lifeblood of downtown Bloomington. Uh, I was a merchant on uh, Kirkwood where Kilroy's is. I ran a shoe store there for seven years when I got out of college. And believe me, it's it's really the lifeblood and it, you know, it ser serves this artery from the university downtown and downtown back to the university. It's, uh, it's just really important that we do everything we can to help all the businesses and, and the restaurateurs. So um, I'm going to be supporting it. And um, I think that it's a really good discussion to have that maybe we need to make it a pedestrian mall down, down the road. 
The ordinance passed unanimously. The Council also voted on whether or not to reduce the number of standing committees. This resolution was introduced at the last meeting. The sponsors of the resolution, Council Members Susan Sandberg, Suze Gambaluri, and Jim Sims, said that it will eliminate the public's confusion surrounding government deliberation and would ensure all members of the Committee of the Whole are working together on ordinances. Council Member Matt Flaherty introduced an amendment that would ensure the Climate Action and Resilience Standing Committee remains due to its ongoing work that he said the Committee of the Whole does not have enough time to dedicate to considering our climate emergency. The ordinance to dissolve the administration, community affairs, housing, public safety, sustainable development, and land use committees passed with a 5-4 to four vote. The amendment to retain the Climate Action and Resilience Standing Committee passed 9-0. to zero. The next City Council meeting will be on January 26th. Up next, Three Scams, Three Media on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Here are three scams working right now using three different media. First, do you use Microsoft Office? The current version is called Office 365. A lot of people like this program. Well, there's a phony upgrade to this program being offered right now by some very official-looking emails. And it's cleverly called, simply, Upgrade. But it's not from Microsoft, and the only thing it really upgrades is the ability of scammers to take over your computer. If you fall for this one and do the fake upgrade, it'll ask you to grant it permission to do various things. Access your calendar, look at all your contacts, read your emails, and write emails that apparently come from you. Oh, it really does look official, but it's as phony as a $3 bill. And here in Indiana, the Better Business Bureau is warning about letters coming in the mail from the American Federation of Police and Concerned Citizens. Doesn't that sound reassuring? It's a bunch down in Titusville, Florida, who claim to be supporting the families of police officers who have died in the line of duty. And doesn't that sound like a good cause? The letters include materials to help you send cash or use your credit card. But a lawsuit filed in Minnesota offers evidence that only 17% of the money they collect goes to actually help family members. 83 cents out of every dollar ends up in the pockets of those running this so-called charity. Do not give money to any charity, no matter what they claim to be doing, without researching them first. Websites like give.org 
CharityWatch.org and CharityNavigator.org are excellent places to find out what's what and who's real. And finally, I got a text message the other day that you should watch out for. I happen to use AT&T as my phone provider, and they send me a free text every time I use up some of my prepaid account. Well, ding-dong, I got a text with the usual header, free message from AT&T, that said, Your December bill is paid. Thank you. And here's a free gift for you, followed by a link to tap on. I was instantly suspicious. For one thing, I don't get a bill each month. And for another, I got a text from AT&T saying I'd been charged for receiving that so-called free message. So what did I do? Well, first, I said a bad word. Hey, I do that sometimes. Mark Twain said we all learn to swear before we can talk. You'd better believe I left that link alone. Heaven only knows what would have happened to my phone if I'd touched it. Instead, I blocked that caller and deleted the message. Email, the postal service, a text on your phone. Scammers won't stop trying to cheat you on every medium. So don't you stop being wary. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The local news is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. 
Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 